Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us on this uh, week installment of Beyond Governance as we conclude the celebration of, of Women's Month. I certainly hope that Women's Month have given us an opportunity to reflect on the courage of women in the past generations and to celebrate how their efforts and bravery have afforded women opportunities uh, and freedoms they have they enjoy today. Uh, despite these modest achievements, equity and redress needle has not moved much on issues such as equality of pay, access to opportunity. According to the director's practice and remuneration trends report by PwC, female executive directors of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange listed companies featured in the top 100 still end less than 11% than their male counterparts. Equity picture is even more dire when you assess non-listed companies. The implications are quite simple, frankly speaking. We need to elevate the gender and race conversations in a context of disparities. It's quite pleasing to, to know that government has done exceptional work by pushing parity at cabinet level as well as executive level. My name is Nilo Kuleni, and welcome to, aboard to the show. And this particular show seeks to illuminate fresh insights and critical observations on economic and polit- political issues. Before I dive into this morning's topical issue, I must reflect on one of the national, one of the issues that we observed last week, which was that of a shutdown called by the two largest federation over increase over the increasing cost of living in the country. You know, when I recall back then, unions used to have so much power uh, in calling upon industrial strike. But for some reason, that power seems to have dwindled, judging by the participation of workers and ordinary people last week. This begs the question for me. Are unions still relevant in their current posture? Why does it seem like they have lost the moral high ground? Can they still claim they used to enjoy? So these are some of the questions which need union leadership to thresh out. I'm sure they have had sleepless nights given the dwindling support they are generating from their own constituency and more broadly from these ordinary citizens for the issues that they were raising, at least on paper, they were quite legitimate and pertinent. We continue our spotlights on the rating agencies landscape um, as political leaders in Africa continue to raise concerns over the unsatisfactory business practices by the top three rating agencies globally, which is Moody, Standard & Poor, and Fitch. To put the issues in context, current chairperson of the AU, uh, President Marquis Saul of Senegal, have called for, quote, creation of a Pan-Africanist credit agency as the current international credit rating are proving unjust just to African countries. This call was made during the, uh, his inaugural speech at the chair, um, as the chairperson of AU addressing the 35th um, AU summit in Addis Ababa this February. In making sense of these very mindful issues, I'm joined by David Mosaka, who is the chief rating agency at the Sovereign Africa Rating Agency, as well as Sol Molobi, who is the former consul general to Milan and executive officer at Brand Hill. Without any waste of time, gentlemen, once again, you're most welcome to Beyond of Governance. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dr. Mbele, and uh, good morning to the listeners. Yes, indeed. Um, Mr. Mlo, you're also welcome. Please come through. Good morning, my good doctor. 
and good morning, Brother David, and to all the listeners. Oh, good morning, Mr. Mlovin. I've painted a picture in terms of uh, what is happening, but maybe just to even further ground it, I want to reflect on the former AU to the UN, Dr. Arikana Chihombiri, uh, uh, who lamented about the unequal treatment of, of African countries by the financial institutions such as the World Bank and IMF. Uh, in her argument is that African countries are being charged more interest while the European counterparts and North America are being charged low interest. How true is this and what do you make of it? Let me start with um, you, Saul. The issue was even raised at United Nations Human Rights Commission level, where it was indicated that the three credit rating agencies are not um, very fair to Africa as the entire continent. And then from there, then um, we, we came to the continent and we, we had our leaders also expressing their disgust at how the three credit rating agencies were rating African countries. Um, President Mekisal, in his capacity as chairperson of the, the African Union, um, uh, in his opening speech, he alluded to this. And the African peer review mechanism, uh, which is led by Professor Edi Maloka as the CEO, has also expressed their reservations as to how the three credit rating agencies rating African countries. And the president of Ghana has also reiterated the same thing. But basically, uh, if you look at why they are doing this one, uh, it could be that they do not understand the political systems uh, in, in Africa and from there, they will want to impose their preconceived ideas about what democracy basically means on African and countries. And beyond that, they wouldn't even understand uh, the economic uh, challenges and our modalities of responding to, to these economic challenges that you are facing. Because with them, they will take their cue from from the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, where they will think structural adjustment programs imposed on us should be the best way for us to get out of the challenges that we we are facing. And yes, even at the, the BRICS level, the BRICS member states have also indicated that there was a need for a new progressive credit rating agencies which will look at the developmental needs of countries of the South. Because for many years, even as South Africa, we have called for the transformation of the Bretton Woods Institute. And we have also called for a fair international, fair and, and just international economic system and we haven't succeeded and for that reason then it's high time that we should begin to look at how do we create alternative governance structures to challenge the status quo. Thank you very much for that insight uh, so I think you've pretty much laid a very good foundation for our conversation and, and let me bring in here David. David you know based on what Saul has you know painted in terms of the three big rating agents inability to understand the political landscape or the contextual issues about the, Af the continental 
uh, economic makeup, and they are obviously perceived to be making armchair decisions for a number of reasons. It comes across as this is a David and Goliath story. Your take on, on this, David? Uh, thanks, Doc, and uh, thanks to Mr. Mulobi. Yeah, I do agree with Mr. Mulobi. But first, I think let me state that, as you are aware, the industry is concentrated, highly concentrated, and then there seems to be sort of uh, this uh, barrier to entry. And remember, where there is barrier to entry, where there is uncompetitive practice, there tend to be those type of challenges. Because if you have a, an industry that is competitive, I mean, in relation to the credit rating, then there will be innovation and then there will be quality and there will be unbiased. Because as Mr. Molovi has indicated, it is very key that credit rating should also, especially from an African continent perspective, understand the economic dynamics of issues that are at play in the respective countries. Like, for instance, if you look in terms of how they also sort of uh, rate the credit worthiness of countries, they seem to be much emphasis on the debt. Yes, it is true that it is very important to look in terms of how our uh, African countries can be in a position to uh, honor their obligations. But there is also this narrow type of perspective that whenever... Uh, countries on the continent seek uh, finance uh, from international finan- development financial institutions. It seems as if that uh, resources will never be utilized in a prudent way. Because of if you understand the dynamics of the countries, you will be in a position to understand that some of this debt is not uh, used to a large extent in a very irresponsible way. It's used also for infrastructure purposes is used for developmental objectives. And it seems it's some of the uh, issues that it seems they don't want to understand. And yes, solution to that is that there should be new entrants who are also based on the continent, who will provide innovative ways to look into uh, the ratings of African countries. Not only to look in terms of, uh, yes, those macroeconomic fundamentals are essentials, but you must also look in terms of developmental issues that are at play and also understanding the structure of the economies on the continent. I think that is very key so that it can also uh, provide a very objective way in terms of ratings. Thank you very much for that insight, uh, David. But personally, let's take a step back because you're also raising a number of pertinent issues uh, around the issues on barrier to entry, competition that is not competition because literally you have three companies running the show and you're saying to us, because of that innovation and quality is going to be stifled. And and one key issue that you have raised for me is, is that there's this assumption that when African countries uh, ask for loan or secure or, um, funding, uh, it won't be used prudently. There seems to be a thinking that money is not being used on mega project uh, and construction and so on and so forth. What would the fundamentals? What would you be the fundamental for more interested in David on what are the conditions for what is that the rating agencies look for in approving um, loans or yeah. provide an outlook which is then used to secure funding or loans? Yeah, basically, what is very key in this regard is that. They do consider, obviously, economic risk in a country, whether the specific country will be in a position to 
pay or to honor its obligations. So that is what we call the willingness to pay. They look into that aspect. And the, the other issue is that, no, is they call it the ability to pay. And they also look in terms of political risk, whether in terms of whether the countries are willing to pay for the debt. Because in certain instances, they argue that uh, when you look into the country's uh, fundamentals, like, for example, your, your liquidity position or your fiscal position, Yes, a country can be in a very sound economic policy to be able to pay. But you find that the political setup in a specific country make it that they are not willing to pay. They don't want to pay or to honor their obligations, which obviously has got cost implications on both sides. And then the other aspect that they are also looking at is that uh, they are also looking in terms of, if you look now, uh, there is also a new trend whereby other risk aspects that are being looked into is this uh, what we call uh, contingent liabilities whereby you see that in certain countries your level of debt is also affected to a large extent by what we call contingent liabilities obviously contingent liabilities those item of balance sheet items that can sort of affect the size uh, the magnitude of debt and the repayment. Like, for instance, if you look in terms of unforeseen occurrences, like it happened with COVID, it can also happen with uh, sort of aspects such as climate change, drought, floods. And also, when you look, say, in with specific reference to our situation in South Africa, the issue of those government guarantees, whereby they were also at a very high level uh, since 2009 up to here. So they also look in terms of those type of uh, aspects that sort of give them an indication or a forewarning that there is a tendency that uh, this specific country might not might default might not be able to to honor its obligations however as i indicated with regards to the access to capital markets they do have a sort of a, a stronghold or a foothold in the terms that they determine also the access to capital markets and then they also determine the level of foreign direct investment in those specific countries, judging on those macroeconomic uh, indicators and fundamentals. So their concern is mainly the affordability, the ability to repay the debt, and also the default to honor your debt. Thank you very much for that insight. Let's quickly gravitate towards our uh, break. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. Uh, this is Beyond Governance. Um, I'm joined by David Musaka, who is a Chief Rating Officer at the Sovereign Africa Rating Agency. I'm also joined by Somalobi, who is a former Consul General to Milan and Executive Officer at Brandhill Africa. Um, before we took that break, David was giving us a blow-by-blow issues that the landscape of a rating agency looks like. I mean, quite critical that we understand the complexity of this particular environment from the political consideration to economic consideration and the extent to which there are these dynamics that makes it very difficult for Africans to actually manage out of the current economic crisis they find themselves in, purely because the instruments are perceived to be uh, against them. So if I may bring in here, 
And David gave us a bit of perspective in terms of economic considerations. At the political level, political stability or perceived political stability, it is one big pillar which the rating agencies look at. And when you look at some of the outlook or as risk assessments of political instabilities, don't necessarily project accurate picture. Your take on that? This is where my major problem uh, with the three major credit rating agencies is located. They have the, the construct of policy uncertainty. And to a large extent, this policy uncertainty speaks to their misperceptions of Africa as a whole, as a continent. I'll give you an example with South Africa. Instead of them celebrating the robustness of our democracy, which, according to our constitution, it says every person has the freedom of association and freedom of speech, which means that even a smaller party like the EFF has the right to exist and also have the right to express views that are opposing the ruling party. If I give you an example, uh, the EFF spoke about nationalization of, of the mines. Instead of the credit rate, rate agencies are appreciating the fact that um, our democracy is robust, everyone is free to express their views. Then to them, that said, there's a level of uncertainty because if the, the EFF was to take power, it, it means that the mines will be nationalized in South Africa. And from the government will try to explain to them that basically um, as the ruling party, we are not calling for, for, for the nationalization of the, of the mines. And the EFF is an opposition party and... We, we are in government, so there's no way that um, we will adopt this as a policy instrument to redress the imbalances or, or the economic imbalances of the past. But uh, the credit rating agencies will respond to this as if it is a policy of the, of the ruling party. And for that reason, they will say that there is this huge potential of South Africa nationalizing the mines. This is where my problem comes in. But the other thing is that they they rely on mainstream media for, for their analysis. And to an extent that they'll even rely on gossip. If one media outlet says that it's highly possible with the ANC policy conference coming, the majority of ANC branches may decide to recall the president. Then they will believe that and say that, yes, um, there is uncertainty. When, when you look at the constitution of, of the ruling party, a policy conference is simply that, a policy conference, which is different from the elective conference, which is coming in, in December. But when you engage with credit rating agencies, they will tell you that... Um, it's highly possible that uh, the president uh, may be recalled. Therefore, there's a higher chance of political instability in South Africa. This is where my problem comes in with the credit rating agency, that they don't tap into the national side or of the country and understand the constitutions of various uh, political parties and also their strength. And to an extent that even if 
one survey comes out to say that the ANC is going to lose power by 2024. Already, then they are saying it's political uncertainty. And then we will say to them, look at the national uh, planning, the National Planning Commission that developed the National Development Plan, which was adopted by all parliamentary parties. And the National Development Plan is our blueprint as a country, and it has been adopted by all poli- uh, parliamentary parties. Then if you were to look at um, uh, our, our, our future uh, political and economic models, you should be looking at what the NDP is saying instead of looking at all these other tendencies uh, which are given publicity by, by the mainstream media. Because our thrust of our future is dependent to a large extent on what the National Development Plan is saying about this country. So this is where my problem comes in. So to a large extent, it is about us as a country, us as a continent, also managing the negative perceptions that exist out there about the continent itself. Interesting observation indeed. One key observation that I'm picking up um, is the media, the extent to which the media would potentially play a progressive or aggressive uh, role in enhancing the general perception around political instability, stability or instability. Let me bring in David here. In your space as a rating agency itself, to what extent do you think media is critical in projecting a specific message? And secondly, uh, now that you play in that particular space, how do you propose to navigate this seems to seem seemingly murky environment? From where we stand is that uh, we are also going to try to make our assessments more quantitative and more driven by sort of statistical quantitative models rather than subjective type of uh, assessments. Like as Mr. Molobi has indicated, if you look in terms of most of the political uh, stability issues, succession issues, when you look in terms of most of the, the big three, in terms of ratings, there tends to be subjectivity in terms of rating those type of aspects. And then that subjectivity it also sort of play in the hands of some of the, the media to such an extent don't even understand uh, uh, economic dynamics or how economies operate. Uh, it is definitely a very difficult so, sort of thing to do in terms of explaining how this type of econometric or quantitative statistical models work because of they tend also to mitigate this type of subjectivity and then In that case, also the other aspect is the transparency. Because remember, as a a, a rating agency, transparency is very key in terms of our methodology. Because of once you try to hide the methodologies that you have employed, like in our case, the idea is that we we advocate for transparency so that the public out there that should be in a position to view how the processes, the procedures, and the measures were sort of factored in, in compiling these ratings. Because it's very key, whenever there is no transparency, there tend to be that sort of uh, danger for media to assume 
certain types of uh, perceptions and narrative. But in the case of where sort of there is transparency in terms of our methodologies, and that we explain in terms of what are the rationale behind rating certain aspects, especially those relating to political stability, succession, political risk. I think in that case, it will be very key that it's the case. The issue of transparency is very key. Thank you very much, um, David. We're going to take another short break. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Tabele. I am joined by David Masaka, who is the Chief Rating Officer at the Sovereign Africa Rating Agency, as well as Mr. Solmulopi, who is the former Consul General to Milan and Executive Officer at Brand Hill Africa. We are deliberating on the rating agency landscape as uh, it has been projected as uh, not so good or you know, not so positive towards African countries, hence most of them are trapped in this perpetual poverty. Before we took that break, David made a very good insight, which I think I need to maybe just flesh out a little bit. Firstly, that their research approach or their research methodology is going to be based on quantitative assessments, uh, which eliminates the idea of subjectivity. The other point that he raised is that of transparency, which is quite key. As part of transparency, they are purporting to uh, open up in terms of how the, how, they are rating, how, how the rating was done and the extent to which their conclusion could be generalized uh, to a point where it projects a very fairer approach to outlooks. This, for me, hinges on the Continental Credit Agency regulatory framework. And one of the, the reason I'm raising these issues about transparency is that we do not seem to have a Continental Credit Agency regulatory and appeals authority. Why I'm raising this issue again is that uh, we have noted when, when the Global Credit Agency company was absorbed by Moody. The only uh, approach the South African Commission committed, uh, commission, uh, commission to seek approval, and none of the African countries approached, or even the European countries were approached for endorsement. To what extent do you think that there's a need for a greater credit rating regulatory and appeals authority, and what role will it play, David? Dr. Bella, that is a very good point. I think, I think it's long overdue at, in terms of... Uh, ensuring that the regulatory framework within the credit rating space is very robust and effective. Because if that was the case, this issue of uh, concentration wouldn't have sort of progressed for so long. I mean, if you look over time, there is a regulatory framework uh, in place, I mean, uh, global, but it hasn't been effective in the sense that still have this uh, high concentration dominance of the big three. So the role that it must definitely play is that it must definitely promote competitive uh, practice within the industry. It must open up. Uh, This barrier to entry, as I've said, is stifled a whole lot of things. Uh, Like as I've said, it stifled uh, competition, quality, and obviously on the other hand, it's also making from a cost point of view, uh, the rating process uh, very expensive. So if there is competition, obviously, there will be definitely uh, competitive prices also be charged. And then also, when there is a regulatory framework that is very effective, we are able to deal with aspects such as uh, conflict of interest, 
to deal with them very decisively. Like, for instance, if I can give an example, if you look in terms of your IMF and World Bank, they are also sort of being rated by some of the big threes. But when you look in terms of uh, the data, that uh, is also being used by most of the, the, the trading ratings and also by most of the, the raters. It belongs to those type of uh, institutions. So in a way, you can say it's conflict of interest because they are rated by the sort of the, 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 the ratings agency and the data that they produce, IMF, World Bank, is also still used as input to the modeling framework and to the rating framework. So that, in a, in a sense, also sort of provide red flags in terms of uh, uh, conflict of interest. So conflict of interest is one of the issues that is very key in the sense that we, we, we must avoid situations whereby uh, entities are rating certain uh, ag- uh, agencies. And on the other hand, maybe they are consultants to some of these agencies. So yes, uh, conflict of interest is one of the issues that need to be done. And also accountability. If you look in terms of uh, the industry as it happens now. This concentration also uh, provides sort of dominance that can also affect negatively the issue of accountability, whereby you find that uh, agencies issue uh, ratings report, and then you find that based on those ratings report, uh, the reflection is not true, and that uh, the market has been upset Countries have lost lots of money. Investors have lost lots of money. And then you find that there is no recourse and that there is no accountability. So those are the type of issues that a regulatory framework within our continent and then also globally should definitely focus on so that there should be fairness, uh, there should be lack of bias, and that the quality of the ratings agency should be fair and uh, of a very... A prudent nature. One thing that I'm picking up from, from what you're saying, which pretty much reinforces what David spoke about, um, it is this misperception, misperception uh, which is being perpetuated about the you know, about governments in an African continent. What is key is that resources are needed. We need the positive outlook or fairer assessment of economic outlook for the purpose of raising funding that will go towards infrastructure. And I, I applaud recollection of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which obviously seeks to diminish all these artificial boundaries by way of fostering closer collaboration between and among African countries. And it is true that without access to capital, these issues will not materialize. And again, this perception about the money is being used uh, elsewhere, they are somehow being perpetuated by this media. And again, it does come across to me that the strategies are on media in a continent. Why is it that we can't shape? Or why is it that the media houses aren't seeing the need for a fairer and balanced reporting in relation to either economic risk or political consideration, which are used as a basis for an assessment which could either go positive or negatively in respect to rating assessment? Uh, your take on that, uh, David? 
Yeah, I think as I've indicated, to a large extent, it also has got to do with uh, not understanding in broad the, the, the functioning and structures of the economy at large. Like I'm going to give you an example. If you look in terms of most African countries, you find that I'm going to give you in terms of a, a, an issue that we call resource rent. Like if you look into uh, most of the countries now, there's huge development in terms of uh, resources such as gas, uh, such as uh, oil, and most countries are putting up refineries and all those type of huge investments. And then what is happening is that you find that when it comes to reporting, those type of mega projects which have got positive spin-offs in those economies are not sort of uh, reported in the mainstream media to a large extent. Because you must remember that in terms of those type of major mega projects, the amount of money that is going to be generated by those mega projects, as I've indicated, the oil, gas uh, developments, that money is also sufficient that in terms of resource rents, in terms of taxes, in terms of uh, both company taxes, uh, royalties, is also sufficient to provide those credit raters or investors sufficient ground to understand that there is indeed huge potential for most of specific countries in Africa from an economic performance point of view. But you find that the media don't also sort of capture those type of mega projects in a very positive way, whereby, as I've indicated, the amount of resource rents generated from those type of projects, uh, royalties, are also in a position also to serve as a good measure in terms of the, 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 the liquidities of those countries. Because obviously, when big companies, multinational corporations come and invest in those countries, they also are obliged to pay very handsome amounts in terms of uh, resource rents, royalty taxes. But you find that those projects, which are very key for development objectives in Africa, Less is reported on them. But I think mostly, as I've indicated, it has got to do with the fact that uh, it is sometimes done on purpose not to cover such type of positive uh, development. And then for one way uh, or another, it, it, it must happen that those type of developments which are positive for the continent, especially in the contents of the new free trade agreement, so that the media should also cover them in a very big way, in a very positive way. But to one way or the other, those type of coverage, uh, that kind type of coverage is very limited. And believe me, the issue of that resource rent is going to be big also for, 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 for economies of Africa. Thanks, David. Key to your observation is that not much of infrastructural programs given sufficient airtime that would, that would influence um, how the rating agencies Outlook looks uh, looks towards, and and you are saying to us, it, there's a sense that it's being it's being done deliberately to de- to further entrench uh, north to south um, uh, dynamic. But moving forward, clearly this is an observation, or this is uh, the perception that has been created, which we need to move away from for the purpose of continent recovery. Um, one of the issues in the rating landscape point of because uh, you know these are capital intensive assessment. To what extent do you think research and associations with credible and reliable institutions would make a difference in ensuring that 
you know, you minimize the cost of data collection, synthesis, analysis, which will then be used to uh, project these kinds of projects in a positive way. Let me just bring in Saul uh, before you, David. This is deliberate, as Brad David is saying. Remember that the five biggest television channels in Africa for rent own. We only have a Pan-African homegrown television station, which is Africa 24, and is the sixth biggest but on the continent. And unfortunately, it only broadcasts in Francophone Africa. So we need to develop our own Pan-African voices that will narrate Africa's story from an African perspective, because the three credit rating agencies uh, rely primarily on the five uh, foreign uh, uh, continental television channels to make their assessments. So it is important. Uh, the, the, there was a controversy two, three weeks ago in South Africa where it was shown that even over 90% of our media here in South Africa is still funded by by the West. And, and unfortunately then, they are using the space created by our constitution for a free and fair independent media to be able to communicate uh, what is happening not only in South Africa, but ac- across the continent from a Western perspective. Because ultimately, who pays the, the piper will determine the tune. And this is the predicament that we are facing in in Africa. We need to develop a credible, homegrown uh, media outlets that will communicate Africa's effort in developing developing itself. And this can never happen as long as we rely on funding from the West or, or relying on the new sources that are owned by the West. So we need to start now to developing those voices. Yes, uh, something very good in contributing to, to this movement, because even when you look at how we communicate the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, you realize that um, most of the research on it comes from the West. Uh, we don't have research institutes uh, from our own universities that can critique uh, the agreement and tell us about the opportunities and the challenges and also design mitigating uh, strategies for us to say, how are we going to overcome all these challenges? So our universities, our, our media outlets should be able to be important resource for us in Africa's redevelopment. Thank you very much um, for, for that, Saul. Quite thought-provoking in so many ways. Um, as we gravitate towards the end of the show, uh, let's have a quick break. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hey, welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. Um, my name is Martin Bennett. Thanks for you know, tuning in. I'm joined by David Mosaka, who is the Chief Rating Officer at Sovereign Africa Rating Agency, as well as Saul Monobi, who is the uh, former Consul General to Milan and Executive Officer at Brand Hill Africa, giving us credible insight on the very complex dynamic landscape of rating agencies, as it were. Before we went to that break, what was still clear in terms of 
perpetuating the narrative about incapability of the continent um, is the role of the media amongst a host of other issues. This is what I'm picking up from the, the assessment of both colleagues who have joined us on this glorious morning. We do know that the Constitution makes provision, as well as pointed out, provision for a fairer access uh, to general population. So these rating agencies uses partnerships which they have with the media houses, which are partly owned by uh, foreign organizations, to perpetuate this, this, this stereotype that uh, Africa it still remains a dark continent. And so anyways, I mean, I, I like the expression that you've used that says, you know, who he pays the piper determines the tunes, which means the rate, which means the media role needs to be looked differently. The media role needs to project what is in the best interest of, of the continent moving forward. As we close um, shop, let me bring in David. David, you are a new baby in the block. Um, you have already picked up based on our conversation and based on the research that you've done for years, I would imagine, you are up against turbulences. Where to from now? Yeah, as indicated, definitely this is a highly contested terrain. We are aware of that. But from where we are standing is that we are looking forward to sort of providing very unbiased quality ratings, objective ratings, and also that are not tainted in a manner that sort of prejudice against uh, sort of sovereign states uh, on the continent. Because of, as I've indicated, it's very important that the issue of bias and quality is sort of central to the whole rating as far as the continent is sort of concerned. And then we are willing to pursue that uh, without any fear or favor. And then, as I've indicated, our team of analysts is sort of of a very high standard. And then we have got very solid quantitative statistical models. And then also our data sets are also very solid. So from that point, I mean, we are ready to enter the market very boldly and offer very, very objective credit ratings with regard to sovereign states on the continent. Useful insight indeed, and we simply hope that all will go well. So your parting shot on this issue? My parting shot is that um, let's develop our own accountable institutions, such as what David has just done, and this should extend to the media and all other sectors, so that ultimately South Africa and Africa could be viewed positively across the world, and that will also translate into lowering the cost of credit and the savings from there will be reinvested in the development of the continent. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It has been absolutely a pleasure having you on board. I wish you all the best with your neighbors. Okay, thank you, Doc. Thank you, Mr. Molovi, and yes. thank you to the listeners. Yeah. Thank you very much, Doc, and Brad David, and all the listeners. There you are. That was David Masoka, who is the Chief Rating Officer at Southern Africa Rating Agency, a new baby that had just been born, of course, joined by Son Molovi, who is a regular voice on this particular show. Son is the former Consul General uh, to Milan and Executive Officer at Brain Hill Africa, giving us interesting observation and insight on some of the very complex and complicated navigations which the new baby, is in a form of sovereign Africa rating agency, needs to navigate in partnership with a host of, of 
governments in the continent, research institutions in the continent, academia in the continent, media houses in the continent to try and lift up a different and a positive message about the continent uh, in, this, in respect to access to funding, which is so desperately needed for capital projects um, that will elevate or alleviate dependency on processing of the raw materials from the West. This is Nimrod Demele closing off. It has been a beautiful uh, day. I hope you enjoy yours further. Shalom. Thank you, sir.